It's another edition of Baseball and Beyond, presented by Masses Restaurant. I am honored to be talking to Keith Hernandez. Keith, it is always a pleasure to see you in St. Louis. Always good to be here. I uh, wasn't supposed to be here. I wasn't scheduled for this series. I've only got the first game because ESPN took the Sunday game in San Francisco. I had to make up one, so they got me here. I insisted that I come here for the game, so I have one game in St. Louis. That's a good schedule. George Hendricks style will be in the uh, car by the uh, ninth inning, right? Uh, actually, I'll be on an airplane. I got an early flight tomorrow, but um, it's it's always good to come home. I always enjoy coming back here. I think it's always really fun to talk to you about those days with the Cardinals. Um, I, I think one thing I didn't realize about you was what Lou Brock meant to you. I forgot that he was still around and doing things when you were kind of coming up. And just what you said a, a few years ago to me about him, I, I'm just curious about what your thoughts on Lou was as as you kind of made your way into this into this uh, into this team. Well, actually, I just had lunch with Lou today. Uh, I haven't seen him in a while, so uh, we had lunch together this afternoon. And, uh, you know, I came up in 74, and Lou's last year was 79, so I played six years with Lou. And um, Lou was, I saw Lou break Ty Cobb's record, single season and all time. And uh, Lou was at the height of his career, and um, he was always very, very, went out of his way to be helpful to me. And those are things you never forget. Because I struggled my first two, three years here in St. Louis. I was 20 years old when I was called up, and I was probably too young. And I had more downs and ups. And uh, Lou was always there offering encouragement and really was my mentor and almost a, almost a second father. And those are things that I'll, I'll never forget, that he took the time. He was a great, great all-star player, future Hall of Famer. And then he took an interest in me. It was really very touching. And it was funny that you were a Cardinal fan growing up, even though you're in California. I always found that interesting. And I, and I watch your broadcasts all the time. I love how often you talk about Cardinals. You guys talk about the Cardinals a lot, and I really enjoy that. But you grew up in San Francisco, and what, you listened to Camo X, right? Or how, how did you become a, a Cardinal guy? Um, well, Camo X didn't reach there, but uh, my father during World War II was in the Navy uh, and was in a ship repair unit, played for the Navy team, baseball team, was the first baseman. So when Stan was in, went into the service in '45, he was put over in on Pearl Harbor, and he played on my dad's uh, baseball uh, on the Navy team with that. my father. So when the war was over uh, and we were old enough, uh, Stan left us tickets at Candlestick Park when they came and played the Giants, and we'd go down the clubhouse after the game. So uh, I remember, I remember '62. See, in 63, we were old enough then. I was eight or nine years old then. And I remember sitting in the clubhouse after the game with Stan Musial on my left and Ken Boyer on my right. So it kind of made me a Cardinal fan from the get-go. And um, although I was more of a Ken Boyer fan than a Musial fan, and then ironically I would go up and wind up playing for Kenny. That is, that is crazy. And you get to 82, it's, it's about seven years, eight years of your career, and you guys win a World Series that year. What was it like because those teams weren't real good that you started with? They were pretty good in the 70s. I think people maybe don't think know how guys were close, but you get to 80, you get Whitey, you bring in Bruce Souter, you, you, know, you start kind of building this thing. What was it like to see the team kind of being rebuilt and you being a huge part of that? Well, there were some down years in there. I got called up in 74, and we lost the pennant, the division, to the Pirates the last day of the season. I got called up in August. And uh, then 75, was uh, the team was good and faded. And then 76 was a very, very bad year. Red got fired. 77, Vern Rapp came in, and we had a very good year. We finished in third place when we kind of faded in the end. But it was the beginning, I think, of... Uh, 
starting the young players starting to turn the corner. I had my first good full season in the Cardinal uniform. 78 was a bad year. Uh, Boyer got, I mean, uh, Vern Rapp got fired. I had a bad year. I did 260 that year, I think, or 255. And then 79, Boyer started at the helm, and we uh, that's when Templeton and I had the great year. And You won an MVP, by the oh, way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a batting title. And Blue finished uh, his career with a great season. Um, and then 80 was another bad year, and then Whitey came in, and that, then things started to be become more consistent. Um, he made a lot of moves, and I was survived those moves, and uh, I was happy about that. Because he made a, he made a ton of moves in the winter meetings, if you remember, the, the, he got rid of a lot of people, and uh, eventually we won the World Series in '82, and which was great because they hadn't won since '67, and so it was a long drought, and it was just great. I played in Old Bush Stadium when there wasn't a lot of people there, when the teams weren't good, and then to see the Cardinal fans come out, because this is a baseball town, you know that it's a Cardinal town, so this is a great, probably one of the greatest baseball towns to play in. And you have to leave in 83, and Whitey, I, I've never really heard the real thing with that. I don't know if you have uh, the background, and when just exactly, I mean, you read these rumors and everything, but what was, it, I mean, what was, what happened that day? Uh, it was a, a, a week, it felt like. Well, it was, a lot of things went on, and there's, there's no need to rehash, but I was traded, and you know, I had a contract coming up, too. Uh, I had one more year on my contract. And um, that probably had some things to do with it, but there was a, a lot of ex- circumstances going on. It wasn't a particularly good good time in my life, um, but you know, life moves on. I would have loved to have been here. I do think that um, if I had remained here, uh, I think that maybe '85 and '87 would have been we, we would have been winners. And uh, when they went to the World Series, and I think that. We probably would have had a big '80s dynasty. Uh, that you know, maybe we would have got there in '86 and '88 as well, because it was a great Cardinal team. But uh, you know, life moves on. I had to go over the Mets, and um, I made the most of it there. I was fortunate enough to get to a, a whole new a team with a bunch of young guys that were so talented, and uh, to be a part of that, it was a lot of fun too. But my loyalties and my great memories, because I, I grew up a Cardinal. I grew up as a kid as a Cardinal. I grew up in the farm system with the Cardinal way. It was always pride in the uniform. Um, those are things that just, you just don't, you don't wash away. That is an interesting thought that I've never thought of if you did stay, because then not only are you here, but you're not on the Mets, which is uh, the team that wins in 86, right. and that, that you, you're the captain, so that means you're the guy that they're looking to, and, and that is well, a big deal. You just, uh, I, look at me at first base, and you have Jack Clark in right field hitting fourth behind me. That would have been pretty formidable with Willie McGee at 350-something, and it would have been a, quite a formidable lineup. Now, whether Whitey would have traded for Jack Clark uh, who knows? But uh, Jack Clark, when he came here, was such a powerful hitter, uh, such a great cleanup hitter. For his short stay here, that particularly in '85, he was just very, very dangerous. You've written many books, and I just think that '86 team is so fun to, to hear about from from afar. Uh, we were Cardinal fans, but I think there was a, a respect of that team. But, man, when you look back at it, you guys just had this 30-year reunion that was so cool to see you guys all back together again, seeing Ray Knight back out there. But what does it mean to you when you think back on that team? Because that is a classic, holy cow, one of the great teams of all time. Well, um, it was a great year. We won 108 games. There's only 14 other teams that won 108 games in the history of baseball, and we were 
We were 54 wins at home and 54 wins on the road. Uh, we played well home and away. Uh, we just blew the league away. Uh, but to me, <clears throat> the fondest memories are that series we had here in October, uh, September, in 85, when we had to win the three games when we came in and won the first two games, Daryl Strawberry's home run off the clock and the old scoreboard. And uh, we won the, uh, the second game, and then we lose the third game, and I went five for five in that game. Uh, that was such a great series, and it was filled up here. And it, I've, there's no other regular season series that I played with so much on the line and so much energy and so much competitiveness between the two teams. And uh, it was just a treat to play in. And, um, you know, we kind of went back and forth. You guys won in 85, we won in 86, we won, you won in 87, we won in 88. So it was a great run for the Cardinals and a great run for us. It was so much fun. A couple more minutes with you. I appreciate your time. You did come into St. Louis, and I, you don't see many players booed uh, the way they booed for you, mm-hmm. and that means you did something here. <laughs> they loved you, and uh, you got booed. What was it? What did it mean? Was that flattering, or was it? Well, how did it? How did it hit you? Well, there was a lot more circumstances involved in that, um, but you know, the time has healed lots of wounds. Uh, Jack Buck was terrific for me, uh, and I think that he kind of. Uh, rehabilitated me towards the fans of St. Louis. I'm forever grateful to Jack for what he did for me on the radio because I had I left and I wasn't here, but I had friends that live here and were listen, listened to Jack, and they were telling me what Jack was doing. And um, I forever grateful to Jack. I always loved Jack. I got along with Jack wonderfully. I thought he was terrific. So um, it was just we were the competing team. I mean, it was either us or the Cardinals. So. Um, it really added to the excitement and the intensity of, 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 of the game. It was the same way when the Cardinals came to New York. They got booed. And uh, it was just really good competing those four years with the Cardinals. We'll get back to the interview with Keith Hernandez in a moment. We'll talk about Seinfeld and that mustache. It's going to be some fun stuff to listen to. Hopefully you stick around for that. Also, just a little housekeeping. I'm going to start doing one podcast a week starting Labor Day. These things will go up in the middle of the week, and hopefully you can catch up and listen to some of the ones you haven't heard yet. Also a reminder, this show is presented by Masses Restaurants. Thank you, Masses Restaurants. Five locations, one in Newtown in St. Charles, Baldwin, Winghaven, Town & Country, and Bridgeton. Italian fare, great entrees, great portions at an affordable price. It's so good. They've got Cajun pasta. They've got beef pepe. Red sauces, white sauces, St. Louis-style pizzas. The Big Al is there. Oh, my goodness, that thing is delicious. St. Louis-style pizza. The bartenders are fun. Bring your families, bring your friends, sit at the bar, get a booth, get a big table, and just enjoy some delicious Italian fare at stlmasses.com. That's where you can find directions and menus oh it's so good there masses restaurants no baloney in the cannelloni i thank them for being the presenting sponsor of baseball and beyond so once again starting labor day podcasts go up once a week somewhere in the middle of the week you'll find them wednesday morning also if you want to see a companion blog to the podcast go to my blog page brad's sports page dot blogspot dot com brads b-r-a-d-s sports s-p-o-r-t-s 
www.blogspot.com. That's where I'll put some video and some pictures and some companion stuff to the podcast. Again, thanks to Masses. And now let's get back to Keith Hernandez as we circle in on his days and his big episode on Seinfeld. You have a borderline Hall of Fame career, but then you go on Seinfeld. And I'm just, I, I can't think that you thought when you did that that it would last and live the way it did. Can you just give me a, kind of the surroundings around that and what it means to people probably want to hear you say, I'm Keith Hernandez? Um, <laughs> um, well, Jerry was a Met fan, Seinfeld, and he grew up in Brooklyn, and I was his favorite player in the 80s. So he and Larry David wrote this. What they wrote, you know, the, the, was titled "The Boyfriend." So um, they didn't know how to get a hold of me. I don't know why they didn't go through the Mets. I was retired a couple of years at the time, and um, eventually they got a hold of me, and I just went and did it. It was I'd never acted before, and they said I'd had minimal lines, and I wound up I was a guest star, and I had well, a lot. long series, yeah, two parter. Well, Larry David <laughs> told me when it was all done that if I was really bad, uh, they were going to not use it in sweeps week and make it a half hour, but they wrote the extra scene, and the other subplot was uh, George trying to get unemployment. So that was the next scene, uh, that the subplot that would make it an hour. And it all, basically when it was all over and done with, Larry David said it all hinged on you, how good or bad you were going to be. And he goes, and and you did pretty good. We were very pleased. And that show turned out to be, you know, iconic. I was just very, very fortunate. it was a great experience. It was a whole week of work. We started on Monday and we finished on Saturday night. And it was all 7 a.m. calls in the morning and we weren't done till 6 at night while rehearsing and going over to lighting and, and what they call blocking where the actors have got to be positioned so they don't get out of focus. They changed the script. Everybody was involved. There was, there was Larry, there was Jerry, there was three other writers and all the principal actors contributed every day to try experiment with each scene to make it better. So that the creative part of seeing that episode unfold through the week was the most fun for me. But I was so nervous when it came time to actually do it in front of a live audience um, that I, you know, wasn't when it, when I was done and we finished. We wrapped after that once the, we did it live in front of in front of um, in studio on Saturday morning. I was going to fly home. I was so exhausted from the week's work that I just wound up staying in L.A. Uh, at a hotel on, on, on in Santa Monica on the beach for an extra five days just to chill and re- relax, and I finally flew home. And did you ever say, is this really the script? I mean, you had to look at that thing and go, okay, come on. This is, this, <laughs> did you find it funny? Did you say, well, I don't know. This seems kind of weird for me to be saying these things and, and having Jerry come I mean, and, and were you a fan of the show at that time? I was not a fan of the show. I didn't know about the show. I don't, I'm not a big uh, primetime watcher. I'm still not today. And I didn't know anything about the show. And it was the second year, I believe, of the show. The first year, it didn't quite take off. It took off, basically, Larry David told me it took off after our episode, which is what they were hoping for. Um, uh, When you're reading the script, it's like reading a play. And I'm not a trained actor, so... But when I started, we started doing rehearsals of the various scenes. And then I realized that it was pretty funny and pretty clever. Uh, with the uh, with JFK just came out the movie the magic loogie you know and all that and all the different subplots and I realized oh, this is this is pretty good but I didn't never realize that it was going to be that popular an episode. 
Last thing I have for you, and I'm sure you get asked about it all the time, the mustache. I mean, it is such a, it's a life of its own, right? I mean, this has become your the signature. I mean, Albert Bosky is the Fu Manchu, and this mustache is, you shave it, and then people went nuts. Tell me a little bit about how weird that is, that this is part of you. Well, um, to tell you the truth, I grew the mustache. I tried growing the mustache very early when I was young, um, 18, 19. And it's all because of Clint Eastwood and all those spaghetti westerns that he played when he had the mustache. And that's the reason why I wanted to grow the mustache. Uh, so it's all Clint Eastwood's fault. And it just kind of stays with me. When I don't have it on, it just, I feel like a different person. I don't feel like the same person. I feel kind of like I'm half naked or something. But uh, it's there. It's going to stay. And it's a pain in the butt sometimes. You get older, you can't, you've got to maintain it and trim it up. And I get a little tired of doing that. But... I don't like it the way I look without it, and I'm just so <laughs> used to having it my whole life. So there it is. You're and you're a cult guy. I mean, is it? What does it mean? And I already said last question, but I, I've seen these things where you're coming in and they've got film of you walking into the to the, uh-huh. the ballpark and fans. I mean, they love you up there. I mean, but you've kind of become a cultish type person. Is that and is it? It's just part of your thing, right? I mean, you're just I'm Keith Hernandez. Well, I guess that's a good way to put it. Um, I, no, we're very good in the booth, the three of us. And I must say our producer, uh, Greg Picker, um, is our producer and uh, realizes my – it's just me. I'm, I'm able to be natural and, and, and not be forced, and um, I can be silly. And – I think in a course of 162 games, and I do 110 broadcasts, there's not, most games aren't as exciting, and you've got to have a little uh, entertainment value there, and I, I guess we appeal to the New York fans, uh, but I don't do anything, I mean, it's just me, it's me in front of a camera, it was the hardest thing to do, was when you're looking into the camera, Everybody would say, pretend it's your girlfriend. Pretend you're looking at the camera and it's your best, your dad, or your mom. You know, well, it's a camera. But you can fall asleep up there too. They even let you fall asleep, and you don't. That, that, well, that was in between innings. That was that was that wasn't a great thing, right there. But um, still, I mean, but most people would get skewered, and they're like, ah, oh, Keith's having fun. He's in twelfth inning. Well, that, got, that, got, that got on Letterman and every, all the all, all the all, all the late night shows about when I. But that was in between innings, and uh, I had done a. A, a, a promotional thing all day that day, and um, it was for Habitat for Humanity. I went over and helped build a house over in Jersey from like six in the morning to like five, and then I went right to the ballpark and I was exhausted. So I just told our AD and I said, "Wake me up when we come out of commercial." And I laid down. I was so tired, I fell asleep. And then she tapped me on the shoulder, and then my producer put it on the air. And uh, that maybe wasn't the wisest thing to do, but it adds to the, you know, to the, the mystique, the, the lore of uh, our broadcast and, I guess, me. But it's okay. So that was Keith Hernandez. That was entertaining. How about Keith? He was fun. So many stories. One more time before we go, I want to remind you about the title sponsor, Masses Restaurant. Tell them that Baseball and Beyond sent you. Tell them your podcast friend, Brad Strobinger, said, go over there. And tell them there's no bologna in the cannelloni, and you wanted a St. Louis-style pizza, or you wanted some red sauce pasta. Tell them Baseball and Beyond sent you. Tell them your podcast friend, Brad Strobinger, sent you. You never know. Maybe a special on a drink, or maybe a couple T-Rabs thrown in there for you, because you know Brad Strobinger. And you said, thank you, 
for being a sponsor of Baseball and Beyond to your folks at Masses. STLMasses.com for directions and menus. And one more time about the companion blog, bradsportspage.blogspot.com. Head over there for more information each week on who I'm going to interview next and who will uh, be part of the show. Also, there's some videos and pictures that I put up over there on the blog, and I also give you information on who might be coming up on the next blog. Terry Pendleton, actually, will be next week's blog. I'll be putting these up now every week, once a week. Right around Wednesday morning, you'll be able to see a new podcast appear on TuneIn, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud. Anywhere where you go to get your podcasts, that's where they will be starting Labor Day New ones coming up every Wednesday. I appreciate you listening. Tell the folks at Masses I sent you, and we'll see you next week with a new one from Terry Pendleton.